It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome back to Extra Innings here on the Sports Objective Podcast with Kyle from Grange Barber. How are you, man? Going on, Dave. Uh, good to good to get the win today over High Point and finish up the weekend on a high note. No doubt, thirteen to one. Nobody be in the panic room. We have Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you? Doing well, guys. Very excited to have a very special guest. We love having him and glad to have him back on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm giving Corey a break this week. I'm very excited, though, to have Coach O, Dr. Gary Overton, and the longtime color analyst alongside Corey. Welcome to the show, Coach O. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, pleasure to be here. We're very excited, as always. Uh, anytime we can talk baseball, you know, Coach, we're going to do that. And um, I was just wanted to say how much we've enjoyed listening to you and Corey. You guys have got a, g- a great chemistry. How well do y'all get all along off the air? Oh, oh, very good. We we not only uh, talk baseball and share baseball uh, away from the microphone, but uh, quite a bit is discussed between innings. And uh, one thing that I really, really enjoy is uh, uh, just talking different strategies and tactics of the game with Corey and things that we've seen just over the past few minutes, you might say, uh, during that 60-second uh, timeout. And it's, uh, I think it's a little bit enlightening for both of us just to uh, share what we have seen and, and uh, to go forth with uh, what we have. Coach, I wanted to mention we're going to break down the games a little bit, obviously, but uh, I just have to say that I want to get your thoughts because you're the expert. I'm not you know, with you, the eyes that you have on the game and the love you have of the game, and you've coached it at, at a very high level. Uh, what do you think about the pitching this year? It's been incredible, in my opinion, so far. Well, uh, you, you just used uh, a, a very accurate term. There's no question about that. Um, I think going into the season, uh, I think we all thought that uh, with the losses as heavy as they were, that uh, the Pirates would find a way to uh, supplant those losses. Uh, in the positions and particularly at the plate. And uh, I don't think there's any question that uh, that the position players that uh, that ECU has right now are very fine, excellent players, and some who will move on to the next level at some point. But uh, uh, when you go to the pitching staff, where we thought that may be a strength and we felt that it may be um, uh, a number of players providing that strength, it's been even deeper and better than I think all of us anticipated. It, it's a very strong staff with excellent arm strength and uh, led, of course, by Alec Burleson, who uh, has assumed the Friday role. But um, when you when you follow him with Tyler Smith and Cooch Maynard, who, of course, had the perfect game last year and an almost no-hitter just prior to that, I mean, uh, that's a lot of experience just in those three guys. And then you mix in uh, Gavin Williams, who's been uh, who, who was injured, uh, had not seen action until today, and um, and those four guys, the number of innings that they've thrown over the course of uh, just the last three years has been really remarkable in the fact that they can uh, take over one, two, and three role, and and one of those th- uh, four will have to be either a midweek starter or a reliever in some way or some fashion. So just in arm strength alone and in experience on the mound, uh, it, it, it's a very quality staff that I'm at. 
I could go on and on about the pitching staff, and and as the broadcast goes on, I'm sure we'll talk about some of the youngsters that are involved. But uh, uh, we're seeing uh, multiple guys who are running fastballs up there at 90 and 91, and some who are not, like uh, a freshman, C.J. Mayhew, who is posting, uh, I guess you would call it eye-popping numbers, and um, just uh, giving fits to some quality teams like Indiana and uh, um, Ole Miss, I'm sorry, um, but uh, teams like that. He is uh, he's setting into a, uh, a pretty much veteran role. So, yeah, just uh, from a general standpoint, not only impressed with the pitching staff, uh, again, because we knew that there was experience, but uh, the depth of this staff and um, the quality of some of the new arms. Uh, outstanding. So yeah, like, uh, that, that's what stood out to me about the pitching staff and just the depth of the arms. I mean, you, you have those young guys that you've uh, referenced, like C.J. May, you also uh, somebody I don't think we've mentioned yet, Garrett Saylor, that we'll talk about. And then um, you have a guy like Tristan Kimmel, who's new to Division One baseball. Um, but then you have guys like Matt Bridges and Kim Colmore, who – who have been uh, stellar, and we'll talk more about Kim Colmore here in just a minute when we talk about the, the Elon game earlier in the week. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, each of those names were either either guys that were on the staff last year or a couple of new names in there as well. But, uh, again, uh, we're getting into some, some high numbers of people that uh, Cliff Godwin is not afraid to put on the mound and not afraid to put them out there in uh, some very critical situations against really – really quality opponents. No doubt about it. In fact, uh, I wanted to mention, too, uh, the addition of having a new pitching coach and Jason Dietrich. Can you talk about him? How well do you know him, and what are your thoughts on him? Uh, well, first of all, I've only met him um, uh, a few times. Uh, we have had we have shared some conversations together, and I'm most impressed, and uh, uh, not only as a pitching coach, but as a person. And his fit into the... Uh, the program at East Carolina has been uh, impeccable. He is just uh, a, a great guy uh, whose knowledge and understanding of uh, pitching uh, is second to none. Now, when I make that statement, it, it, that sounds very strong. But uh, when you look back to last summer, after he took the East Carolina job, there were some overtures from uh, – uh, professional clubs, and um, we're talking clubs on the major league level, uh, not uh, not lower levels of professional ball, who inquired about his services. So he is uh, he's a he's a great pitching coach. Uh, his background at quality programs like Fullerton, Oregon, Irvine, and uh, and several others uh, is very good. But uh, the nature of playing the game of baseball on the West Coast tends to be one that begins and in some cases even ends with pitching and defense. Uh, I've seen some very good programs over the years, programs that have been to the College World Series, um, to numerous super regionals out on the West Coast whose uh, not emphasis was on pitching and defense, but it was their game. It, it, uh, it, it started and ended with uh, uh, those two elements of play. And um, teams out there are just not going to win, especially against each other, uh, unless they really, really pitch. 
And so you look across the country, and uh, a lot of the names that pop up will come from the West Coast as some of the premier pitching guys. Now, Jason Dietrich, he fits into that mold, and uh, he came highly recommended by many people. Now, uh, Cliff Godwin talks about the the individuals that he has uh, or he had discussed the name of Jason Dietrich before hiring him, and uh, many many uh, of the quality uh, head coaches, um, not just on the West Coast but throughout the country, had highly recommended Coach Dietrich. Um, and I've heard his name mentioned on several occasions to some of the people that I talk to as well. And what we're seeing in him is not just an even keel approach, but a lot of trust uh, from his players, from the, uh, the pitchers on the staff, who just really believe and have bought into his system and his style. And um, uh, a firm believer in, uh, a lot, I won't say a lot, but um, in the off-speed pitches of the game, uh, uh, breaking balls and change-ups, particularly change-ups, are a big part of what he teaches and how he implements that into uh, what we all like to call a mix, um, whether it's a three-pitch mix, two, four, whatever. Um, he he certainly uh, has a, a mix that uh, emphasizes or has a big part of uh, off-speed pitches. We've seen that early in this uh, season, and we've seen a lot of success with it, an awful lot of success with it. Yeah, as far as uh, you look at Tyler Smith, I just want to say this for a quick bubble. You look at Tyler Smith, and maybe some of the pressure, we talked about this, I think, uh, last week or so with Corey, but he he may have put too much pressure on himself, obviously, but uh, what kind of a difference? You've been a coach before, obviously, and at East Carolina, what kind of difference does it make with maybe you have a different set of ears and eyes, like with uh, Coach Dietrich, maybe that he can get through to him or have a different, uh, I guess, strategy for him? Yeah. Well, it, it isn't just his, his concept or his idea, but a guy like Coach Dietrich can take each individual player, and one of the, the, the primary points of emphasis, he doesn't try to mold those pitchers. He allows a pitcher to pitch to his strength. And when a guy like Tyler Smith, who we had seen have have uh, many good outings in the past, and then last year he was he was struggling just a little to get to the fifth and sixth inning of games, and part of that was staying behind hitters. Uh, wooden pitch counts were not in his favor, uh, and and he was probably walking too many batters. Now, uh, enter Jason Dietrich. And what happens is he has a better breaking ball. He has a little more of a curveball type uh, breaking pitch than he does, say, a slider. Uh, he can throw it for strikes. He can get ahead of hitters. And then you mix in the change that Coach Dietrich likes to teach, and all of a sudden you have a player that uh, at times is dominant and at times he is an outstanding pitcher against really, really good teams. We pitched very well last night against Ole Miss. Pirates lose the game two to one. Anyone would have lost that game or won it. It was just it was a well matched game, and each team was blow for blow against each other, primarily from the pitching end of things. But uh, Tyler Smith held his own, and the guy he battled last night was uh, not only an excellent or the team he battled 
was not only an excellent hitting team with a lot of power, but also the, the picture on the mound on the other side was a very high draft pick who turned down a lot of money. And uh, so here's a guy that uh, has really grown and matured under Jason Dietrich. And kind of expanding on what you're saying regarding Tyler Smith, um, you talk about at times he can be dominant. That's what in 13 in the third innings through three starts thus far, that's what he's he's only surrendered six hits. Oh, yeah. And, and I think a lot of that is the change in the breaking ball and also the use of more off-speed pitches. He was trying to get ahead a lot in the past with fastballs, and uh it just wasn't working, and I think that's what Coach Dietrich has changed in Tyler Smith uh, to make him a better pitcher. But uh, over time, uh, Tyler Smith's numbers uh, have not been bad, except for the, uh, the, the walk-to-strikeout ratio, which only uh, tended to balloon last year. Now, uh, not only back to where it should be, but even better, and, and you brought that out, uh, Bubba. It's... Uh, it, it's uh, He's posting numbers now where he is um, a definite two guy in the pitching rotation. Coach, taking a look at the week, um, two and two week, um, got started at Elon. Um, you were able to make that trip a lot of times due to your um, day job with the university. You obviously can't go on a lot of the road trips, but you were able to make that trek up to Elon and, um, and the Pirates were able to pull out a seven to two victory as a game in which we jumped ahead earlier early, excuse me, in the in the top of the first, um, putting up three runs, uh, Bryson Wall home run, and then um, we carried that three-to-nothing lead into the mid-to-late innings, and um, Elon was able to make a run at us, but we immediately responded, uh, capitalized on some Phoenix miscues for the 7-2 to win. Yeah, and, and playing on the road's always tough. It matters not whether it's midweek, um, uh, weekend, but uh, playing on the tough, uh, playing on the road, it's it it's just a little bit tougher to win. I, mean, I think we all know that. But uh, we went in, and uh, uh, Pirates playing with a lot of confidence. And you mentioned the world home run. Um, yeah, that that was the big blow. There's no question, and it actually turned the game because the Pirates did take that three nothing lead very early. You're right, but um, it also it also moves to the mound where a newcomer. Uh, Tristan Kimmel uh, got the start, and I don't think anyone really knew what to expect. But um, here's a guy that's come in, uh, not a freshman, a little bit of an older guy with some experience on a different level, but uh, a, a very confident young man and a young man that uh, uh, that pitches um, the way Cliff Godwin likes to see people handle themselves on the field. He teaches confidence. He uh he emphasizes it, and it's a part of the culture um, within the ECU program. And, and Kimmel handles that very well, extremely well. And he went deep into, uh, not deep into the game, but he took the game uh, into the part where the bullpen could uh, could take over and uh, and finish the game. Uh, in so doing, um, I think the Pirates also, in games like that, are starting to find a player here or there who can produce in certain situations. That game was actually closed by freshman Skylar Brooks, who was touching 93 at the end of the game. That's a freshman. So uh, another good arm that we're talking about uh, on that staff. But those are the kind of things that uh, the Pirates are finding, not just when they achieve a win on the road like at Elon, but uh, uh, development of players as they go.
Tone Friday, and we obviously uh, got play underway with the 17th annual Keith LeClaire Classic. Um, a lot of quality clubs coming in, uh, as usual, and uh, starting things off with Indiana. Um, that was a game in which um, the Hoosiers really swung the bats, pounding out 15 hits and um, seven of those for extra bases. Yeah, and uh, uh, let me just say this about Indiana. Um, when you beat LSU on the road, and then you beat South Alabama on the road, and then you beat East Carolina on the road, you have done something. In the nature of Division One baseball, that is a very strong and tall order, but that's exactly what Indiana has done. And of those three, South Alabama having one, um, a year uh, much like East Carolina and LSU normally does, and, and a lot of history in that South Alabama program. So, so Indiana was a good club. There's no question. Now, when you looked at their numbers, first of all, it should have been seen by all, and their numbers were not that great. Uh, their pitching numbers were pretty good, but uh, offensively not. But look who they've played. And I just mentioned three outstanding programs. And uh, with that, um, they had to have been a good club coming in. Now, what we saw, and they were beaten today by Ole Miss, but what we saw was an Indiana team that won the Big Ten Championship regular season last year and a team that's been to six of the last seven NCAA tournaments. And it's a program that has really emphasized baseball over the last few years. They lost the head coach who took the Arizona State job, uh, I guess it was maybe five or six years ago, Tracy Smith. And then they lost another head coach who had come from a good Louisville program, and that head coach went on to Mississippi State. So now you're talking about the Pac-12 and the SEC. Well, we're seeing what type of a program Indiana really is. So they roll in, and they beat us, East Carolina, and they went against High Point, and uh, pretty much, for the most part, match uh, Ole Miss today. Yeah, a team that wasn't ranked, but after after what they've been doing and doing it on the road, that's a team that uh, will be ranked very shortly and well-deserving. And it's a program that within the last 10 to 12 years uh, has become, uh, you can't say that it's uh, uh, anything but a national program uh, because of the accomplishments that uh, that have been achieved. Look at the players that have played there. Kyle Schwarber played there. And... Uh, and that was a team that uh, that went to Omaha with him, College World Series. So, yeah, just in the last 10 to 12 years, that is definitely a national program. So that was that was a big part of the LeClaire Classic. And what they did on Friday night, they showed us, they showed uh, East Carolina fans, all of us Pirates, that they were a very good offensive club. We saw it, a number of left-handed hitters in their lineup. And uh, we saw them not back off of Alec Burleson at all. And um, although he didn't have his best stuff, um, I think all the credit should go to Indiana. It was nothing. It was nothing that Burleson did. Instead, you mentioned the 15 hits and uh, seven of them for extra bases. Yes. Yeah. Teams like that, when you swing the bat like that, they're hard to beat. Coach, I asked. Uh, I asked Corey about this last week, but. Talking about Indiana, what's happened in the Big Ten Conference that made them suddenly become a power conference, if you want to use that term in baseball? 
with Indiana being good, Illinois, uh, you know, has had, had, had a good run. Michigan, College World Series last year. Ohio State has some good teams. I, you know, I remember several years ago, Big Ten was kind of an afterthought in baseball. Not the case anymore. No, not at all. Big Ten was a cold-weather climate, and it was thought of that way. And uh, teams were not prepared early in the season, and then later in the season uh, they were better, but uh, nowhere near the power conferences or the American um, and and uh, there are other uh, good baseball conferences around the country too that are non-power five. But what the uh, uh, you just described exactly what happened to the Big Ten at at one point it was just Ohio State and they were hit and miss. They had some good programs. Um, uh, they had players like Nick Swisher who played uh, in the Yankee organization for a while. Um, anyway, we can go on and on about some of the, the better players there, but. Um, Again, they were a hit-and-miss program, and that was pretty much it. Well, along the way, Illinois, as you said, and Indiana, and Michigan really turned it up. They decided that baseball was going to be a program. Um, Minnesota when, had a good year in there, too, didn't they? Oh, oh, I was I was just getting to that. Those first three that we mentioned uh, all built new stadiums, and uh, they threw the idea or the concept of the Cold weather climate, they threw that out the window and they said, we're still going to play baseball and we're going to play it well. And uh, Minnesota, who's coached by John Anderson, a guy that I have known for quite a while, has been good for a number of years. Well, as the others turned it up, then so did Minnesota. And you're right. They have been to either two or three super regionals lately. I'm trying to think of the exact number. I know one was at Oregon State. Um, not long ago, but um, and just recently, Iowa has jumped into the fold, um, money into a stadium, uh, better baseball. So uh, we can uh, we can look at all those programs who have elevated that league, and then Maryland coming in, although not not what you would call a national program at this stage, but added to the Big Ten and and, and just made the Big Ten better. So it's from top to bottom. It's uh, it's a much better league, but at the top especially, there's five, maybe six programs that at any time can be ranked. Coach, it's nice to see that as far as college baseball is concerned, uh, isn't it nice to see that it's more than just the underdog now? I think there's a lot of people, uh, including with East Carolina and different schools, that a lot of people are paying more attention now to college baseball than ever. Oh, no, there's no question. And, and the parity... In college baseball. Now, when you say more people paying attention to college baseball, yeah, uh, that's a definite. And ESPN has has done a lot for that. Uh, it's given a lot of exposure to the game itself. But uh, uh, when you look at the parity and around the country, you, you're not seeing really upsets anymore. Um, but what you're seeing is good baseball by programs that uh, maybe are not the names of the programs in the past, and, and and we'll even flip that just a little bit. Now, I mentioned Tracy Smith, former coach at Indiana, who's at Arizona State now, and he's getting them back to prominence. But for a while, Arizona State was down. And strangely enough, um, uh, for guys like myself and Bubba's dad, we remember the days when no one could beat Southern Cal at one time, five consecutive national titles. And uh, that's a program that has been down for a while now. 
So when you when you look across the country, uh, I just bring those two out because for those two being down a little, there are 50 programs that are really up that can play with those two on a daily basis. I'll give you an example. Uh, a school nearby just this weekend, uh, UNC Wilmington, made a trip to Kentucky. Kentucky out of the SEC in um, last two to three years. Uh, last year they were down a little, but prior to that, uh, a good run. And um, in the first two games of the series, Kentucky hasn't scored off of UNC Wilmington, two consecutive shutouts by the Seahawks. So that's college baseball as it is today, and and that's that's very uh, apt to happen to anyone. Um, now, uh, when you see the the games like ECU versus Ole Miss last night, two to one, well played, evenly matched. Um, that's when baseball is at its purest, and college baseball is very pure. It's um it's a fun it's a fun time to watch it, and it's attracting more and more fans as witnessed by the attendance all across the country. For uh, most all of these schools that I'm talking about uh, that are creating the parity and uh, that have developed winning programs. Talking about that game last night, Coach O, um, like you said, the 13th-ranked Rebels and number 17 Pirates, um, like uh, like you characterized it earlier, I believe you said heavyweight fight, and it most definitely yeah. was that. Um, the Pirates pushed across that run in the first um, when Ole Miss uh, had a couple of miscues. We did it without that benefit of a hit. And then uh, also um, you had that performance. We referenced C.J. Mayhew. He came in and was outstanding, uh, working three and a third shutout innings and striking out six and really gave us a chance to have the opportunity to win it there in the late innings. And we we got to the point we had uh, a couple of guys in scoring position and just weren't able to get that clutch hit. Yeah, that and before we get to that, uh Bubba, the uh uh the two runs scored by Ole Miss were um after after a runner was on first, um they had a uh there was a double to right center field that scored a run. And then uh what looked like it was gonna be a lined out double play back up the middle, uh turned into a ball not caught and a misplay at third base allowing the runner to advance. Uh Scored off of a sacrifice fly. So uh, there's your two runs uh, that uh, if, if it's still 1-1 or if uh, even if the Pirates were to have held and it was one nothing, it may have ended that way because after the second inning, absolutely uh, no offense was created by either team. And so it was, it was rare to see a ball uh, that was hit on the barrel after that. The pitching was just that good, and uh, Mayhew more dominant than any pitcher for either team uh, with those six strikeouts in in, in those three innings. But um, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it, it was certainly a, uh, a blow for blow and a match for match um, throughout the evening. Pirates lose; they could have just as easily won that game, and uh, uh, there was not going to be any long balls hit. It was a cold night with the wind blowing in, and uh, uh, it was just going to be, um, what do you call it, manufacturing runs or the development of runs, and that was the only way it was going to, anybody was going to score. And um, Ole Miss just able to hold on for a 2-1 win. Coach, I want to ask you as far as the 
one of the things I'm very, very proud of talking about more people interested is the very fact of the crowds. Uh, I know Cliff had talked about he wants an average of 4,000. How about that? Last night you worked the um, – well, you have basketball and you have basketball and baseball having almost 10,000 there, I believe. You have the numbers, not me. But I'm just tickled to death to see for Joe Dooley and tickled for Cliff to – have some really strong crowds as far as numbers, but also the, our fans, I know I'm biased and I believe purple and gold, but I really believe our fans are the best. Uh, I totally concur. There's there's no question. And when I say that, um, I base that on the fact that people are coming to games because they like what they see. When, when, uh, when there's a crowd in Minji's Coliseum yesterday for the game versus UConn, uh, as it was, uh, over 5,000 people, there are, uh, they know what Joe Dooley's putting on the court and they know how hard he's working at it. When you move over to Clark LeClaire Stadium, you see the same thing in Cliff Godman. You see a guy that uh, has emphasized to all of us that um, at some point we're, gonna, we're going to the College World Series and that's his goal is to take us there. And how he's doing it and the culture that's built it's appreciated by the fans, and the fans like what's going on. Now, does it translate to uh, wins all the time? No. Last night, a great example. That two-to-one win could have gone either way. But th- th- it's, it's, what is, it's the way things are happening and the way that we're going to get to the goal that we are trying to all reach. Joe Dilley there, Mike Houston the same way, no question. Kim McNeil with our women's program. And uh, Cliff Godwin, yeah, all so much appreciated by the fans, thus the attendance. Like you were saying, Coach, uh, nearly nearly 5,000 for that one last night, and it was uh, far from baseball weather. So that that was what really impressed me, the way the Pirate fans stuck it out in that weather, um, having having nearly 5,000 in a regional-like atmosphere in the real feel uh, for probably about the last half of that ball game was 37 degrees. Yeah, I, I like the way you put it, too, when you said they, they stuck it out because they did. All the fans hung around. They were, they were hopeful till the end uh, that, the, that the game would be won. There's no question about that. And, and you reiterated also exactly what Cliff said in his post-game interview last night, and that was it was a regional atmosphere. You had uh, a very large crowd who was enthusiastic, who was who were there to see two really really good teams. Yeah, Ole Miss is the name. There's no question about that. But so is ECU in the circles of baseball, and they were there to see two heavyweights go at it. And uh, they were not dis- disappointed in that. They were disappointed in which team won the game. But at the same light, it it was very much like a regional game, and you had the feeling that in a regional, had that, had that game actually been played in a regional and say it was the driver's seat game, you had the feeling that the winner of the game would have still accomplished nothing in double elimination because the other very would have been very capable of winning two consecutive games to win that regional. And uh, uh, that's, that's how I felt about East Carolina last night. Even though you lose two more times, maybe you win the next two. In two in a row, so it, it's uh, yeah, it had postseason drama to it, and it had postseason uh, uh, feel and approach uh, to where we're all trying to go. 
then coach, uh, obviously, back-to-back disappointing games, um, even though we had played very well against Ole Miss. And then today we're, we're able to jump on high point early and never let up 13-1. to Yeah, and, and the, the big story of today, uh, there were so many people with uh, really good games, uh, multiple hit games. Um, of course, the three home runs, World with the two home runs, and uh, and Burleson, uh, although this was very quiet, uh, Cliff brought this out as well. That was Burleson's first home run of the year. Well, we all know that he's very capable of more than that. And uh, 16 hits, uh, the Pirates, um, from the fifth inning on, not only not only were really squaring balls up, uh, none, none of the hits were cheap, not at all. But they were doing the same for outs, so uh, you could see the you could see the players having and developing a feel for what they were trying to do uh, from the beginning of that game to the end. The win, yeah, absolutely, it was needed and it was nice. But uh, the way things transpired and the way we played was uh, was exceptional. I'll go to uh, a couple of players like Norby, uh, Connor Norby, the second baseman, who. Uh, Really had a hard time, and he's a, a, a young guy, um, a freshman last year, sophomore now. Uh, it really had a hard time with breaking balls last night. Now, look who was throw, who was throwing those breaking balls. Really good pitching, and um, he struggled to the point where uh, he, he actually last couple of bats did not look good at all. Uh, didn't look comfortable, but just he was baffled, so to speak. And today rectified that in, in one game. Um, fought off pitches. Uh, he was getting base hits off of breaking balls. His first at bat that happened, and then the confidence was just there. Um, ended with three hits. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm correct on that. But uh, a, a really good game. But more important, uh, uh, rectified the problems that he was having in the past. So yeah, it, it was a game of that nature. And then you take uh, Jake Bisner, who I think we said earlier. Uh, his, you know, his progression uh, after having a sore shoulder in the off season, his progression has been true to point. Uh, he's a, he's a guy that's not walking anyone, and he's effectively using the breaking ball, which uh, is he has developed into his eye pitch. So yeah, many many good things uh, that happened in the game today is high point, and from the midpoint on, I think we all saw that that game was uh, slowly being put out of reach. But um, also, uh, we also alluded to the point that uh, Gavin Williams had a chance to throw for the first time, and he disappointed no one, uh, touching 96 at one point and uh, uh, just looking like his himself on the mound. Coach, one of the things that uh, I think the storyline, the takeaway for me for this weekend, I know that Pirate fans were very hurt Friday night. I would say it was not a good performance for us, but you look at the way we bounce back Saturday, and we play the number 13 in the team in the country. We play them, like you said, a heavyweight fight. We had a chance where I think it was a, what was the third or fourth inning where we had bases loaded. We we didn't uh, capitalize there. But then we come out today, and we really pounced on the Panthers. No pun intended there. I just realized that. But uh, the Panthers were um, are not a bad team, and we come out and we dominated the game. And so if you look at the takeaway, I know Cliff was talking to you tonight in the post game. Hey, we're eight and three. If we keep doing that, we'll win 40 games. That's the goal they have for the regular season. 
And I just hope I want to say this to you because you're the a former coach of East Carolina. Uh, these fans that think we're going to go 56 no, well, that would be great. Um, base, the baseball season is a marathon uh, and, and it's not a sprint. And I'm hoping that these uh, these fans, while I know that they're they mean well, I hope they understand that. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to win every game. We want to win every game. We're just not going to win them all. And that's correct. And and yet at the same time, even when you have those. 40 win seasons, which um, you're exactly right. You then have 16 losses. But when you have those 40 win seasons, um, you you have won a high majority of your games. You're a ranked team. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, if you win 40 games, you're ranked somewhere in some way, shape, or form. And and you're you're going to be considered when the NCAA selection committee meets. You're going to be considered one of the top teams in the country. Maybe not one of the top 16, and maybe so, to host a regional as ECU has become accustomed to doing. Um, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, who's now the athletic director at South Carolina, and won two national titles down there with them, with the Gamecocks, Ray Tanner, former coach at NC State. He once said, he said, the more that he said, and I've learned it here. In this program, the more that we win and the higher that we go, the more is expected to do just that. And the East Carolina program has has been that way um, under Cliff Godwin, who uh, played under Keith LeClaire and, and was that way under Coach LeClaire. So that's the way I think all of us uh, former Pirates and uh, uh, present fans, which includes all of us as well, uh, that – that's what we expect, and uh, we expect the uh, the highest of uh, of standards uh, for the program. And uh, uh, what uh, what I think all of us know for a fact is that uh, the program is living up to those standards. It's uh, it's it's very high, and it, I don't think it's ever been higher. And uh, we we all are, are very proud, even though there are fans. Um, that a loss or two here or there, it's like you said, some people want us to win every game, and that can't be done. But uh, as we as we um, continue those 40-win seasons, yeah, it's uh, uh, we're all very proud. Uh, we all feel like Bubba. We're pirates through and through. <laughs> <laughs> it's in our blood, and uh, we're very proud of what is being accomplished. Coach O, I want to talk about Bryson Wall. Uh, yeah. Right now, he's hitting close to 400. He uh, has four home runs and 10 driven in, um, and that does lead the team at this point. He had three home runs this week. But the thing that I wanted to point out is how after having a, a lot of success and then the last two games, he had gone one for nine with five Ks. The way he bounced back today and hit a couple of bombs, so that just shows you the progression that that kid made. I mean, he had success at times last year and then struggled at times, but then he he is really uh, – that shows you his progression to be able to bounce back after a couple of tough games like he had on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, progression is a very good word because – and you're right, and he's doing it game by game. Um, there are a lot of uh, mechanics that he is adhering to. Uh, as we all saw him strike out from time to time and, and – uh, there are times that you're going to see the ball well, and then you're going to go through stretches where you don't see it as well. And uh, but for him, 
to make some mechanical adjustments and and to bounce back and and to be able to what, to do what he's done just in the last uh, week, so to speak, is a credit to him. He, he's he's uh, not only trying to learn the art of uh, of hitting, but he's making himself a player. Uh, I like to say this about Cliff Godwin a lot. He was a self-made player, and Bryson. Even though, even with assistance, yeah, we all have hitting coaches and we all have uh, techniques and fundamentals to work on. But uh, Bryson is learning how to make those adjustments on his own. Uh, the old saying is he's figuring he has is figuring the game out, or he is figuring out the part of hitting uh, that's so important. But to bounce back like that, yeah, very good. Uh, I noticed the, uh, the home run at Elon was a pitch down and away. And he had a backside home run by staying tall. Uh, he, he didn't let the depth of the pitch take him down by any means at all just to get the bat head on the ball or to try to hit the barrel, but he stayed, uh, stayed tall and, um, and, and came through the baseball, hitting it to the backside and hitting it very long. It, it's, uh, it, it's an, uh, a special art to be able to do that, which is something he has. He has um, a lot of talent. There's no question about that. And um, uh, when you measure his abilities, he's what's called a five-tool player, a guy that uh, possesses each of the tools uh, that's necessary to be of the highest quality of a player. And now he's translating those tools into uh, becoming uh, not a good athlete, but a good baseball player as well as a good athlete. And uh, he, uh, he, he is drawing a lot of attention right now from a lot of people. Uh, based on not just that athletic ability, but as you said, to be able to translate it and to uh, to make adjustments to better himself as a player. Coach, I wanted to ask about well, you mentioned him earlier, and we were, when we were talking about pitching, but I'm just been blown away, and I have to check the roster again to make sure that uh, he's playing like a junior, maybe even a senior. But C.J. Mayhew, he's not the only one, but he's one you mentioned being a left-hander. I said, man, he's got to be a sophomore or junior the way he it just seems like the game is slowed down for him. It just seems like the command that he has, uh, like you said, the man pitching against the number 13 team in the country, it's like he had ice in his veins. Do you think it's because of uh, our good friend from the podcast, Trey Daly, the guys of uh, the travel ball? What is it that these freshmen are coming in now? They're Not only are they talented, but they're really not intimidated by the level of play. No, they're not intimidated at all. That is that is a big factor. Uh, we, you and I talked earlier about, um, uh, and we we mentioned this on the podcast. On, I mean, on the broadcast that uh, that uh, Cliff Godwin really instills confidence, and he he really he he wants his players feeling uh, very confident at all times, regardless of the situation. Not to feel uncomfortable, but to not feel. But look, very comfortable out on the diamond. And guys like C.J. Mayhew, who have a little toughness, or I think a couple of times on the air I've mentioned, he has some moxie. He has a, a baseball makeup where he believes, even though he's a freshman, that when he stares at that senior on, um, on, on the Ole Miss club or on the Indiana club, that, uh, that he, he knows he's going to get them out. He feels his best stuff is better than theirs. And his attack or aggression or any way that you want to put it, it, it is not to back off. It's to be just that. It's to be uh, 
um, uh, very direct and uh, um, just to, uh, uh, to to be the aggressor, so to speak. And uh, that's Mayhew's mentality. And I think that's a word that uh, we used to use years ago that is not used as much, but strong mentality on the diamond takes a player a long way. C.J. Mayhew has just that. Now, is it developed in travel ball? Um, I do think some of that confidence factor is. Yes, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's brought to the, uh, college game, uh, from the, uh, amateur all-star levels, but, uh, but there is confidence when they, when they take the field. And a guy like Mayhew has just that. Coach, before we talk about what the Pirates have coming up this week, um, I, I wanted to very quickly touch on an aspect of the game we haven't talked a lot about, and that is uh, the fielding. Uh, so the defense has been excellent. Uh, team fielding percentage of 988 right now, and um, and anyone that knows um, anything about it, I mean, you know, you know, you certainly want to, uh, if you're a regional type of club. Uh, you definitely want to have above a 970, and um, the Pirates are well in excess of that at this point. And um, they only had two errors on the week, and one of those came today in the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. Anything over 970 is good. Uh, over 980 is uh, really good. And when you mention 988, uh, that's um, it's not perfect by any means, but it's excellent. And and that's uh, one thing that that does. We we just mentioned the word confidence. Uh, it gives pitchers a lot of confidence in which to work. Pitchers are now not trying to be strikeout artists. Instead, they want the hitters to put it in play when you have a defense like that behind you. And uh, it can allow it can allow pitching staffs to do things that they. It, it's almost like pitching when you're ahead. Um, it, it's a lot easier. We all know that there, there are things, there are elements of the game that you uh, try that you. Uh, uh, actually experiment with at times when you have the lead um, just to determine what you can and can't do. And same, same holds true when you have a defense behind you like that. Um, you're almost uh, enticing a hitter to put it in play because all you want is outs, and you know those outs are behind you. But uh, defense, uh, a big part of the game, when pitching is a factor or when pitching is a strength, and with East Carolina, uh, pitching is the strength. There's no question about that. So a deep, the defense is a must, and uh, uh, I, I think I think it starts uh, behind the plate. I think it starts with the catcher. And, and uh, uh, although Seth Cadell is not putting up great offensive numbers, far better defensive catcher at this point than uh, uh, than I think Cliff Godwin and his staff uh, thought would happen primarily because of Cadell's work and his work ethic. But uh, it, although it only starts there, uh, we all know that the middle is where it proceeds. And uh, Giles Corby, uh, yeah, very solid. Whirl, as we've talked about tonight, uh, really covers the gaps from gap to gap, just like center fielders should and, and in, a, in a very timely manner. So, uh not to, not to leave any names out. I just I just think the defense is what we would call really really solid. It didn't uh, and with a 988 fielding percentage. Uh, um, you could say whether well, making flamboyant plays, they're making highlight film plays, and the Pirates aren't doing that. They're making solid plays, and they're making pitchers feel very good and very comfortable. Coach, I had a question too. A couple more baseball yeah. related. One is. Um, Friday night, 
It was uh, incredible. Uh, Coach Godwin, uh, disappointed in the umpire, but Tolson coach, uh, I know that's something that is, uh, we don't know exactly what was said or the change, but is, do, you, do you find that maybe guys don't get along between the umpire and the coach and then the tension is already high and then you get the heat of the moment, the, the battle, so to speak, and then a the guy gets tossed because coach, when I see him get tossed, it makes me very angry because he's one of us and whether he's right or wrong, it seemed to fire up the crowd, and uh, he definitely put his arm. Some was the guy that tossed him, Dave. Do <laughs> <laughs> what? Some was the guy that tossed him. He was one of them. I know that. I know that. But I, I just don't. Not really happy with uh, with that. And uh, I know we were not having a great night. I get it. But I, I just wanted to get your thoughts. I know it, we don't know exactly what was said in exchange, but. Is that maybe the case that guys don't get along and that's why they're so easily uh, to pull the trigger, so to speak, and throw a coach out? Yes, but it's a little more than that. Um, there, the tensions do run high, and a lot of times there is carryover. Um, for instance, um, if, uh, if a coach has a sinker slider type guy going, and this particular umpire doesn't give him the call at the knees. Then um, from from the first pitch through the last, a coach feels like he's getting the short end of the stick. And then the next time that coach sees that particular umpire, he already has a negative mindset. And then if you're coaches, um, and I'm not going to speak for Cliff Godwin by any means, like you said, have no idea what was said. But if there is a coach who gets on an umpire from time to time, then sometimes umpires reverse what I just said. Sometimes the next time he sees that umpire, there's already a negative feeling. There's, there's connotations that are not good for either of the two to get along. And uh, that happens more frequently than, than even the fan would think. So, yeah, yeah it, it's uh, as tensions run high, Sometimes uh, a trigger is pulled a little too quickly, too. And uh, But then again, uh, we don't know what was said or how it was said, but um, <laughs> you and I both know that uh, Cliff Godwin's an intense individual, but he also has the good of the game in mind. And uh, I, I, like you, we're all hurt when we see him ejected. Coach, I want to elaborate on that, Coach. What, do you, what are your thoughts in general? And maybe sometimes it's just it's hard to avoid because of you know where guys live and they're going to umpire games close to home. But what do you think of uh, in general about guys um, umpiring games uh, of schools they went to? You know, East Carolina guys. I know they're going to call it in this case. Obviously, you know, eject the cliff, but they're going to they're going to call it fair, but just. So not particularly this situation because it certainly didn't favor us. But what are your thoughts in general on that? Do you think it should happen or is it hard to avoid? It's hard to avoid. It really is. And it isn't because of the proximity as much as it is. Uh, you want the best umpires on the field. You want the most quality umpires on the field. And if for reasons like you're saying uh, they were taken off, then you might have uh, lesser of a quality, not one person, but the entire crew. And and when East Carolina plays anyone, High Point, Indiana, Ole Miss, Georgia Southern, it matters, um, and, and I've heard this from, from uh, 
assigners for a long time. Well, um, the North Carolinas, the NC States, the East Carolinas, the UNC Wilmingtons, the Campbells, um, they deserve the best umpires they can get, not to be taken off um, for whatever reason. If they're the best umpires, that's who needs to be on the field. Affiliation doesn't matter. Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. And and although there's something to be said for your comment, it really is. It, it still lessens or waters down maybe the crew or the um, the the quality. Right, and, and you, would, you would certainly think, you know, even even if it was a high pressure situation for a regional or something like that, or in a regional, you would certainly think guys have the integrity to just call the game the way it's supposed to be, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, and in, and in postseason play, you don't have that problem, not by any okay. means, because they come from all over the country. But okay. but what you guys are saying for non-conference games, yeah, it's I mean, it, it's I won't say it's unavoidable, but it's almost unavoidable if you want the best umpires on the field. Right, Coach. Also, uh, one of the things that's been great this season uh, that I wanted to ask you as far as. Uh, two-way players for East Carolina. I think when we were talking to Corey, your broadcast partner, I think he pointed out six two-way players. Is that something that is a trend in college baseball? But it seems like Cliff is really – it's really fun to see a guy that's in the field and all of a sudden you bring him on the mound. You know, six on one team is very high, yes. But seeing it in college baseball, it is slowly ascending. Um, uh, two-way guys are being used uh, in multiple – uh, positions, and rightfully so, it's good for the game. And if any, if nothing else, it's good for that individual. But um, uh, but uh, yeah, six is very high. What's what's the, uh, the there's a a phrase that was coined by uh, by Cliff. He says we're two way you. I believe is that what he calls it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, it, but it, you're seeing it more and more in uh, college baseball now. And um, I won't say that every program has one or two, uh, not, definitely not two, but uh, you, you are seeing it more and more. And I think when players are being recruited, I think they're being told that they're going to have the opportunity to perform both ways. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be granted to them. Do you think Elsa Fielding, a uh, guy that pitches and gets out there in the field, do you think it makes him uh, 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 work harder for that pitcher in front of him? Uh, I'm sorry. Could you repeat it? The question. Uh, so, do you, do you think it helps with fielding if you're a pitcher and you and you out there in the field that maybe you work a little harder for that pitcher in front of you because you you know what it's like being on the mound? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, I, and I, I think it's subconscious. I don't think it's intent. I just think that uh, you know um, when when you're in the outfield or you're at first base or wherever. Or like in the case with Ryder Giles, you're at shortstop, or Agnos, you're at third base. Uh, subconsciously, you know what that guy's going through, and and it isn't that you play harder because of that. It's just that you have a feeling for what he's thinking in the moment, and so subconsciously, yeah, uh, there is something to that. Absolutely. Hey Joe, taking a look at what the Pirates have ahead this week, a four-game week, uh, Liberty. Coming in midweek, a quality program that was in the regionals a season ago, uh, Scott Jackson's ball club. They are seven and four. They've won six straight, coming off a sweep. 
of the Marist Red Foxes, and uh, they had a combined no hitter in that one. Uh, and get this, guys, it was actually a, a game which they won six to four. So Marist was able to push across four runs without the eight of a hit, uh, thanks to wow. uh, eight, eight, eight walks. <laughs> mm. Wow. Very uh, interesting. That a record, a four run no hitter. I mean, I've never heard of that. Uh, highly unusual, but uh, you do hear of uh, runs being scored in no hitters. I'm not sure I've heard of four before, but uh, you do hear of that. Um, and again, it's it's generally walks and errors that that are the culprit. Um, going to your question, though, Liberty uh, made a comment just the other day that when uh, Liberty and Coastal left the Big South, it kind of opened the door for Campbell, um, who really ascended uh, to maybe the top team in that league, and and High Point not far behind. But uh, we all know that Coastal Carolina won a national title. And Liberty, although they haven't, um, it's a program that has uh, gone to many uh, NCAA tournaments, and it's a program that has been strong even in some of its – uh, not um, elite years, so to speak. So um, very strong program in Liberty. Uh, the Pirates and Liberty as well had the luxury of playing each other back in the fall. They played uh, at Clark LeClaire uh, in a fall game, uh, which now the NCAA allows uh, for two, and most most uh, schools play one home, one away, and, and their home contest was against uh, Liberty. So having seen them, uh, they're, they're a team that, uh, on the mound, I'm not sure that they can match the Pirates, but um, uh, as far as being a well-rounded club, they definitely can. Um, the, the Pirates are going to have to play. There's no question because Liberty is that type of an opponent. Uh, they're, uh, they're a good club, and uh, like you said, uh, previous NCAA tournament club and Scott Jackson – uh, former uh, assistant at North Carolina uh, has really done well there. They have, uh, when he was hired and when he was brought in, um, they have not missed a beat as 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 far as uh, uh, being thought of as as a very very strong program. So uh, yeah, that that uh, that will be played at Clark Leclerc on Wednesday Wednesday afternoon, and uh, I, I think we're probably in for another match of. Two good teams playing each other. No doubt about it. Um, but this weekend, Coach, and Pirates go on the road, a weekend series at Charlotte. And speaking of former Tar Heel assistants, uh, you have um, the all-time winningest pitcher in UNC history, Robert Woodard, um, taking over the 49ers program the first time they've had a, a, a new head coach in, uh, I guess, what, about 25 or 30 years. Lauren Hibbs had been there forever, and he was able to – Move into an administrative role at his alma mater, Wichita State. But uh, Robert Woodard, um, the 49ers are off to an eight and four start and swept St. John's this weekend. Oh yeah, and uh, and they have some good wins, not just the St. John's win, uh, but some good wins prior to. Um, and UNC Charlotte, a program that uh, now in Conference USA, and uh, it, it just hasn't seemed. Uh, been able to uh, to get over the hump, so to speak, to have that that stellar season like they've been expecting. In, uh, Lauren Hibbs, um, who was there for over 25 years, um, during the course of his early course of his tenure, they had some uh, they had some very fine programs. They had some some teams that were uh, um, 
uh, you mentioned the 40 wins earlier, but they had some teams that uh, even uh, a little higher than that. I, I think they had a couple of 45-win teams uh, back in the 80s or 90s, early 90s, I think it was. And they uh, uh, so they have a little tradition there as well. Now, when you go on the road, anything can happen in a three-game series like that. Um, uh, the 49ers, uh, after this sweep of St. John's, can uh, have proven – that uh, that they can make themselves tough to beat. So it's uh, uh, I don't know that they are the club quite of what Liberty is, but in uh, uh, in contrast to the Liberty game, the three games against Charlotte are in Charlotte, and that will make a difference. The the, the plus side is that uh, all the Pirate fans, like uh, like the four of us um, that live in and around the Charlotte area, will have a chance to to be there and probably will outnumber uh, the 49er fans. There's, there's a, I know there's a family uh, not too far away from the Charlotte area by the name of Rosenbaum, so they're going to be their coach. Oh, very good. That's good to hear. Yes. <laughs> uh, one question I had as far as, I know you've been on the, on the committee as far as the selection committee. Um, one of the things that I wonder if you can help us out, and I know we can talk about it later when it gets down to that time, but just out of curiosity, what will it take for the Pirates to be um, a national seed, being one of those top eight seeds? Yeah. Well, uh, before we get into that answer, uh, I have to be honest. Uh, I was frank. I was not honest. I have to be quite frank about this, and that is I was very shocked the Pirates were not a national seed last year. And how they were left out, um, yeah. the, num- the numbers did not did did not show justice by any means. Now, uh, the human factor comes into play a lot. We all know that. But um, uh, the numbers didn't play out for the Pirates to be left out, and yet they were. So this is a conversation that uh, Cliff and I have had uh, a couple of times, and that is what do the Pirates need to do? Well, first and foremost, last year the Pirates played a very tough schedule. I like to say that it was uh, – of an arduous schedule. It, it uh, they played three games at um, UCLA. They uh, uh, they were not afraid to hit the road against anyone. Uh, three games at Maryland in itself uh, uh, were very important. And uh, playing tough people on the road and winning those games is the answer to what a team has to do. Well, the Pirates did that last year, and yet still were not in the top eight seed. Um, so, uh, I know the answer. I know the answer, Coach. Okay, let me have it. We have to temporarily change our name from East Carolina to North Carolina. <laughs> God and, forbid. And, and there are some that think you're right. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but um, uh, as far as this year goes, uh, it's going to require a high number of wins. There's no question about that to, to be in the top eight. Now, let's also look at it another way. There are 351 teams. So to finish in the top eight, uh, that's beyond elite. We know that. And uh, uh, and the schedule is very good this year. It, it's not as arduous as last year, not as tough, but it is uh, a good schedule. And um, for the Pirates to get to crack that barrier, uh, a high number of wins. But more important than that, I think what the biggest factor will be is what they do on the road. And you just asked me the question about upcoming games, uh, like the three at Charlotte will be important. Um, uh, 
uh, as they travel. Um, and this year they're playing three games against UNC Wilmington, games at North Carolina. Uh, we can go on and on, but uh, winning on the road is going to be very important to crack that barrier and a high number of wins. Coach, taking a look, sorry, Dave, I'm just he's talking about road games. Uh, yeah. I know the Pirates' first road series in the league is down at UCF, and the, and the Knights are also a tremendous start, 11-2. and two. They swept Auburn on the Plains, and, and then this weekend they took uh, three out of four from Cal State Northridge, who was 7-0 and coming in. Yeah, and, and uh, that uh, that is looming to be a big series um, uh, for, uh, I, I won't say for conference standing by any means, but for either one of those two uh, to make noise uh, nationally uh, in terms of hosting a regional or, uh, as, as we said earlier, uh, being a top eight seed. Um, I, I think, I think uh, the goal of hosting a regional first uh, kicks in, and then as um, as a team is is uh, making its mark, so to speak, uh, then the thought of a, a national seed follows. But um, uh, that that particular series is going to be very large to one of those two teams. And you're right; those three wins they had at Auburn uh, that uh, that signified what type of club program that they have right now. Coach, I was just going to what I was going to add to that was the reason I asked that. Some fans may be thinking I'm, I'm a little premature, but I wanted to plant the seed because you know, uh, in theory, I guess, and I mean, there's still human a human element there, but what it takes to make that national seed, because I felt like we got robbed last year not getting a national seed, but I know I'm biased, but I just want to ask that now. So as we the season plays along, we can kind of go, okay, oh boy, we uh, won that one. We may have, should have not lost that one, but also, another thing, Coach, is important for the teams we've lost to to win as well. Oh, yes, yes. It's it's not just who you beat, but who they beat as well. So as we're winning games like like uh, uh, from from this weekend forward, uh, we are the biggest Indiana and uh, uh, Ole Miss fans there are. Uh, that can only help us. As those, as those programs win games, it's only a feather in our cap. Um, and 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 let's go back to Georgia Southern, a good program. Um, if Georgia Southern were to win their conference and and to uh, and to have a stellar season, it, it's only that much better for us. Yeah. Guys, we got anything else? Yeah, one thing I want to ask you, Coach, is normally yeah. we have um, we have movie lines at this time, but you're, we uh, give these to Corey. But I just want to get your take on, first of all, movie lines uh, during the broadcast. I know that I think you said you don't mind them. And then also, uh, if you like movies, then what kind of movies do you like? Well, I, I do like movies. I, I can't say I'm a movie fanatic or anything like that. But any baseball movie, I, I've, I've never seen one that was that was bad. They're, they're all good. And any baseball movie, to me, is uh, is worth watching. Uh, going back to the uh, movie lines, though, yeah, um, Corey has fun with that. Do I mind? Not mind at all. I even, from time to time, try to catch that movie line, and I never do. <laughs> I, I can I can never catch the line. Do you have a favorite baseball movie to follow up on that, or a top or a top three? Wow. Um, um, Probably because when they came out, um, 
um, Field of Dreams and Bull Durham would be near the top. They both are, are two special ones, but uh, uh, there are others as well. In, uh, any other baseball movie that, uh, um, that that is a heartwarming story is, uh, uh, is is good to me. But those two, just because of when they came out, I was I was coaching at the time, and uh, um, it, it just it, it, I thought they were both very touching movies. Yeah, they were both good. Kevin Costner, yeah, good movies. Yeah. In fact, uh, uh, one question: When you're watching a movie, do you see when they, when you're watching it, you're like, "There's no way in the world that guy did that. Uh, there's no way in the world he can pull that off." Do you? Are you critical of the movie? <laughs> a little bit, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially when you see speed guns register a hundred or uh, ninety-nine or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was well, Coach. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he looked. He was rookie of the year. Very unrealistic. Yeah. Okay. The only other thing, the other thing of note that I wanted to throw out there was um, around the league. Tulane is off to a nine and two start, and, and they swept Middle Tennessee over the weekend. But they had a combined uh, no hitter, and they had three guys combined on a two to nothing uh, no hitter against the Blue Raiders. Yeah, and and uh, uh, we're seeing a little bit more of that in college baseball too. Uh, something I do want to add about the league, um, uh, UConn, uh, three wins over Michigan. We know about that. Uh, you mentioned UCF and their start, especially the Auburn sweep uh, to lane off to a very good start. But someone asked the other day, uh, ECU picked to win the league. You know, I, I really believe that was just, that ECU, uh, although um, – there may be an element of play that is not eye-popping like last year, and that, of course, was uh, uh, the Packard Brickhouse washer, all the home runs that we saw. You know, and that uh, I think we all knew that wasn't going to be accomplished this year like last year. But still, ECU may be as good uh, because of pitching and maybe not as good because of the loss of power, but still – Probably the best team in the league, and I think it. I think the Pirates are just in being picked to win the league, and I, and and these teams like Tulane, uh, UConn, uh, UCF, that are having good starts. That's only good for us and the league, and uh, uh, it, it just makes for a more competitive league. But I, I still think the Pirates uh, should should have been picked one, and uh, and in my mind, probably right now are the number one team in the league. No doubt about it. It's going to be interesting to see how we do this week and all season long. Coach, you're amazing. Appreciate all you do. And uh, I know that you're putting countless hours, uh, you guys. I just want to give a shout-out to you and all your staff. Uh, the ball games, I see you, and I barely speak to you because I know you've got a lot on your mind. And, um, many, many things are going through your head as you're trying to prepare for all the game operations for all the different uh, clubs and all the different programs at the school. It's just amazing. Well, thank you for saying that, and I mean that sincerely because we're all pirates, and, and we and we do it because we love it. No doubt. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for the visit, and I hope you'll come back on with us. We enjoy your intellect when it comes to baseball and pirates and life. Well, guys, appreciate it so much, too, and uh, look forward to being back with you, and you guys have a good evening. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.